This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs by AOPA. At Ask the AMPs, we try to take your toughest maintenance questions, and sometimes we answer them, sometimes we just kind of fake it. Not, not your toughest. But, you know, the, when we do the, the normal podcast, we, we actually get to see the questions a day in advance. And study. And, and one of us actually studies <laughs> for it. <laughs> but uh, when we do it live, this is our this is the second year that we're doing it live, we have no idea what you're going to ask. So it, you can't imagine how terrifying this it's is. It's like we're up here naked. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I never look at the questions in advance, which if you listen to the podcast, you already know that. Yeah. <clears throat> So this feels really natural to me. Yes, it's no different at all for Paul, right? So this is a this is a really cool. Every air venture is cool. I'm st I'm just now getting used to saying air venture instead of just Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. uh, this is my 20th year in a row coming, so this is pretty cool. But I got to do this dawn patrol yesterday in a P51. Uh. Wow. Backseat. Over the top. Back, yeah, okay, backseat, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point, Mike. <laughs> yeah, there was this so, there's always, in the Somebody's got to rain on your parade. He hasn't stopped talking about it. They since. said you can have a fresh donut right out of the fryer or you can go on a P-51 ride. I did the donut. I took the donut. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. I've never sat in a P-51, and I've not done formation flying. I got both of those checked off yesterday morning. My pilot was an A-10 pilot. Very cool. And so he didn't know anything about. He, yeah, he didn't know anything about formation. But I'm telling you, there was some stenciled lettering about this tall on the bottom of the lead airplane's wing that I could read. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Lucky dog. Yeah, yeah. Colleen's still mad at me. Yeah. That was awesome. That's a bucket Sounds list great. item. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I, I got a, a brand new borescope. I, I went to the Oasis Scientific booth and got a new borescope. They insisted so we take it. so excited to take it. He said, please, sell more of our borescopes. <laughs> it doesn't who, happen all the time. Who has a borescope? Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> I got that's awesome. That chills. Totally awesome. I couldn't, I can't believe that. You know, that's this awesome. is called, this it's, is, but you know, if, if this was not an audience of podcast listeners, they probably, yeah, yeah. It'd they'd be, be different. like, what's a borescope? Yeah, well, <laughs> or what? This is, that is really gratifying. Preaching to the choir, apparently. So, all right. 
But and how many of you got a borescope because your mechanic didn't have a decent borescope? Ah, yeah. okay. Wow. Good job. Okay. Oh. Lane, what did you What did you see that got you excited? Uh, donuts. I saw. The, <laughs> I really like the donuts here. They're amazing. <laughs> All right. Okay, All right. In the interest of time, since y'all have some really good questions, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask at least a couple to get it going, and then we'll start to rev around when we can. This is interesting. Who doesn't want to get more horsepower out of the airplane? For the SANPs, can you widen the gap in the spark plugs to get more horsepower from an engine? Yeah, get that screwdriver right in there. Can we do this, we do this all in unison? Can you no, widen the no. gap at all? Well, <laughs> oh, of course you, you can. So you got to ask the race pilot. Well, I've never heard that. that Make it harder for that spark to jump. <laughs> well, if you widen it like to this, it doesn't spark at all, right? So yeah. you're saying, can you replace it with a spark plug with a wider gap? No, I no, no. That's what he's asking. Yeah, the plugs. It just kind of, well, how do you widen a gap? I well, mean, you, you put can, a screwdriver in there. Of course, you, in the process, how do you, you widen break the, the gap? strand. It you, says you're you wait for a while and it does it all by itself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it automatically does that. I'm not sure that would do but, what but he wants. When I, you know, every year when I pull my spark plugs, I, I always tighten the gaps down right to the minimum, which is 16,000. Yeah. And, and the reason it's particularly important for me is that I fly a turbocharged airplane. And if you go up high and the spark plug gaps are too wide, you start getting what's Parking. called high altitude misfire, which can... Uh, at least cost you change underwear at yeah. minimum. It's going to so, spark somewhere. Yeah. You want it to spark at the spark plug and not somewhere previous to that. But I yeah. don't think closing the gap is going to give you a stronger spark. No, no, no it, it doesn't give you a stronger spark. Yeah, it, so. it, what it does is it maximizes the likelihood that the spark well, will huh. happen at the spark plug yeah. rather than inside the magneto. It's yeah. actually more important if you have small magnetos like slicks. Mm -hmm. Right. If you've got, the, you know, the big... Bendix. Uh, Bendix S 1200 giant tractor mags, then 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 you can get away with wider gaps, right? Unless you fly way up high in a turbocharged airplane, like I do yeah. sometimes, and and then you need you need yeah. to have. So I gap. think the answer, yeah. unless we misread that question, I think the answer is no. No, no let's don't do that. I would say it's a definite no on that, <laughs> okay. and I yeah. forgot to say who the question was from. So the next one, I'm going to re read your name up. Do I mess it up? May not want their name right. <laughs> That's why I didn't read it. <laughs> All right, Richard. Undisclosed questioner. Richard. Richard, where's Richard? Richard. P I T T E T. If you're not willing to raise your hand, right, we're I'm going to run over the there like uh, the price is right or something like that. I'm going to let you ask the question, Richard. All right. And Richard is from Calgary, right? Oh, God's country. Oh, where the smoke is coming from. Oh, my. That's the guy right there. Everybody look. <laughs> <laughs> that was a U.S. Uh, uh, parted smoke that we sent. Oh. <laughs> I, they keep the good stuff for themselves and they <laughs> export the bad stuff. <laughs> now I have a 2002 182 Cessna and uh, if you look at uh, power, uh, it can be achieved by low uh, MP and high RPM or vice versa, which will cause less strain on the engine. Oh, less strain, less strain on the engine. I don't know that it really matters, yeah. but your engine probably prefers the lower, lower RPM, RPM, higher manifold pressure. RPM is a lot of strain. Yeah, low, low RPM and high manifold pressure uh, within the envelope that is allowable. And this is this is a, a, 
uh, restart 182. So it's yeah, got a so light foam engine. Yeah, so I call engine. Typically, those engines, I don't have the book in front of me, but typically those engines are allowed to be like five inches over square or something. Oh, yeah. So you look in the POH and there's all the charts. So you have all the different RPMs and all that manifold pressure. And if you look at the 2500 RPM or 2400 RPM, 23 and 22, different manifold pressures, same percent power yeah. will yield the same fuel flow and the same speed. So if you want to fly at 65% power, you can do it at various RPMs. If you're going to fly high, you're going to have to increase the RPM just to get the, the power up because you ran out of air. But yeah, most, most of the time, I don't know why it works out this way. It's probably coincidence. Most of the time, lowering the RPM by 100 and raising manifold pressure by one inch just usually just about equal. Yeah, yeah it's not exactly, but it's a yeah. close rule of thumb. So but it's always, always better to run low RPM and high manifold pressure, which when, when I learned to fly 182 uh, back in 1960-something, <laughs> my flight instructor said, if you do that, it's going to blow up the engine. And <laughs> I, I believed that for a long time. And then I finally discovered yeah. that Charles Lindbergh was the guy oh, yeah. that taught right. the the military aviators in World War II how to fly, you know, low RPM, high manifold pressure, and extend the range of their airplanes and everything. So and they could follow the bombers. So then, then I said, well, I wonder what the engine manufacturer has to say about it. And so I got the the, the books from Continental, and they they said it was okay to fly yeah. over square. And so yeah, there's nothing in any of the manuals where it says you know over square. It doesn't ever say don't do that, and it never has. It's just a flight instructor. It's a flight, sorry. It's a flight sorry, instructor thing. All the thing. in here. Yep. Uh, and there's probably some mechanics. They, uh, so if you want to find out if this is a real thing, convert manifold pressure into millibars, and suddenly it doesn't work. Oh, jeez, Paul. No, I'm, oh, I, well, I mean, you were going to say Newton's per furlough no. or something. <laughs> the, the only reason we ever came up with this is it just so happens that on most normally aspirated engines, 2,400 RPM in 24 inches is about 75%. Right. Yeah. And then somebody said, well, 24, 24, that's square. Oh, well, now we've got something we can teach people. It's wrong. But, but 22... You know, 2,200 RPM and 26 inches is also the same amount. Right, right? but that's, that's not, not catchy. And that's, that's a better catchy. way to do it. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. So instead of 24 inches, if we use millibars, well, you can't make those numbers work anymore. So now you don't know if you're over square or not. I, 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 I did an EAA webinar. It's, 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 it's on, <laughs> on the YouTube channel. Hectopascals. We should go with that. That, that works, yeah. too. How about the next question, David? Those called the joys <laughs> oh, of over on. square. <laughs> okay, moving on, as we like to say on Hangar Talk. Ian says it all the time. All right, I'm going to just read the question because we have a, a full house here. But raise your hand. Julie McShay. Okay, all right, Julie, if you don't mind, let me read the questions. You're pretty far back over there. And I think this is interesting for a lot of folks, uh, like myself, that have uh, vintage aircraft, aircraft that are a little bit um, older. Uh, Julie's from California, and she wants to know why the jet is flying over now. No, she wants to know, with the GA fleet aging, can you please address the needs and regulations about owner-produced parts? Oh. And she has a 79 uh, Grumman Tiger. And uh, we just want to know a little bit more about owner-produced parts. Like, can you build a whole gas tank if you have the filler nozzle, the yes. filler? OK. OK, well, what you just brought up with the making a gas tank from, from the filler port uh, is not 
an owner-produced part. It's an, a repair. So, it, it, you know, and no, no, I, I, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a joke, but there's this, this basic concept that, that if you have something that's broke, but you can salvage any part of it, you can build all the rest of it and call it a repair rather than an owner-produced part, which, which makes it a whole lot simpler. Because th there is no regulatory limit on how extensive a repair is allowed to be. So uh, the, we, we sort of have an A&P joke called the golden rivet, <laughs> that is which is like if you can salvage one rivet from whatever it is, you can build the rest of it around it. The, the only thing that gets difficult with airplanes is if you lose the data plate, then it gets really yeah, complicated. But so we've been fabricating skins, like for gear up landing repairs or whatever, and this is totally legit. And it, even if the FAA happens to be in the room, they may not admit it, but anyway, if they're here, you can drill a torn up skin off the belly of a 210, lay it on top of a new sheet, use it as a pattern, make the sheet because in the service manual, it tells you the skin is made out of 2024 T3, it is 32,000 thick. I can use that as a pattern, fabricate a totally new part. No, don't even have to have a golden rivet for this one. Yeah. Slap it right back up on there, and that's perfectly legit. But, but, you, I, but you didn't fabricate the skin. What you did was repair the assembly. Right? I fabricated a repair, and I'm very careful about that yeah. in the log entry. What I also can't do is I can't fabricate that repair and send it to somebody somewhere else for them to put on. Now I have fabricated a part and sold a part, and I don't have parts manufacturer approval. Yeah. I, I once on my airplane had a had a, a rigid oil line that supplies a turbocharger and it, and it something chafed against it I forget so it was a tie wrap where it should not have be or something and it it so I was going to order another line from Cessna this is back before I was an A and P and my mentor said oh we don't need to do that he said as long as we can save the B nuts <laughs> we can. We can repair that line. So we went out and we got a bunch of tubing, got a flaring tool, saved the old bee nuts, and 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 actually repaired now with, the bad line. With CAD drawing, you can actually do an image of a part and then 3D print it, and then provide the 3D printed and have somebody fabricate it for you. So if you're going to actually make a part, owner produced, which is more to the question, you you can't just go down to Harbor Freight and get something that looks sort of like it and throw that on your airplane. An owner-produced part still has to meet the same spec. Right. So the first thing is you have to find the spec. What is the spec for this part? What's it made of? And you're talking to Grumman, where's the factory, who has the spec? If you can find the spec and you can replicate the part and show that you've met the spec, that's a good owner-produced part. How that, do you get see, your that's, that's first you make them cookies. That's the <laughs> that's the, that's the really important issue here. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, owner can produce a part, and and for a, a part to be owner produced, the owner had to just have something to do with the production. Right. He doesn't have to do it in his basement with his own it's not hands. A Fifty-one percent. He can rule. you know yeah. get a machine shop to do it if he if he supervises it, if he provides the drawings for it, if he provides any of the materials, it's, it qualifies as an owner-produced part. The tricky part with owner-produced parts is getting a mechanic to install the part, because yeah. then the mechanic is going to want some assurance 
that the part is airworthy. And most mechanics are going to be a little bit gun shy about uh, installing an owner produced part unless they're really quite sure that the part is airworthy. So the best way to ensure that your mechanic will be comfortable installing the part is to enlist him as a co-conspirator in the creation of the part <laughs> so that he's involved in it and then you know he's probably going to be comfortable yeah. installing it. But the tricky part is not the producing the part. It's, it's getting someone to install it that someone is going to want to, to have some assurance that the part is yeah. airworthy, meets, meets the type design of the, of the aircraft. Does it, we're, we're talking about certified airplanes here. Experimental aircraft, you know, any, you can do anything you want. All right, you want to add something, Paul? Well, the, the, the thing to know is the person installing the part, your AMP, IA, they are the ones that are carrying the burden. So you fabricate a part, you have no liability in the fabrication of the part. The mechanic that installs the part is signing not only for the installation, but for the airworthiness of the part. They get all of the liability. So just when you're doing this, that's what you need to be aware of. They're signing their career away on that garden hose that you provided as your oil line. As your oil line. So. Good question. Yeah, good that's question. really good. Okay, um, the next question, I'm gonna probably not pronounce your name right. Uh, Vedant, V-E-D-A-N-T, Vedant, from uh, New York. Uh, no, no, Nashville, New Hampshire, sorry about that. I'm gonna just read your question number two uh, out of the seven questions that you wrote down. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Just teasing, uh, there were two down here. But I think this one, a lot of people will have probably the same question. Sure. So how many more hours uh, can I expect, given that I have 2,900 hours right now uh, on the engine in a A36 Bonanza, the compressions are good, and it consumes about one quart of oil every 20 hours. I know the answer to that, but... Uh, go ahead, guys and, and gals. I want to give a little plug to the forum I'm going I'm to do right after we're done here in forum, I think it's, it's six, eight, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, the title of the forum is TBO 5000. It's a story of how we took a, a, a Skyhawk engine out to 5,000 hours and kind of how we did it. Uh, the, the question is how long can you expect that engine to last? And it's an unanswerable question, and, and it's not a question that is even worth asking. Um, the, 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 you need to put the engine on a good conditioning monitoring program, and then just fly it until it starts telling you that, it, it, that, there's, that there's some reason to tear it apart. We don't like to tear apart engines unless there's really a compelling reason to do that. Yeah, yep. you can't predict what's going to happen or what's going to go wrong, but you can see this early stages of things going wrong, and that's what condition monitoring does. It gives you signals that maybe you should anticipate pulling a cylinder or, um, or changing some other part. So, it, but it sounds if, if your engine is burning one quart in twenty hours, I don't think even knew my engine was doing that. So <laughs> that's that's wonderful. It sounds Paul, like your, it's in your great shape. Your engine is over TBO, right? Oh yeah. And if I yeah. ask you how long you're going to fly it, you're going to say I don't Until know. Until well, I can't. I, right? Yeah, it's, it's the engine's doing better than I am. I, <laughs> I, I know I know that he's going to fly it for a long time, and the way I know that is 
in a moment of weakness, and he did this without consulting me. I just, I don't understand oh, it. Because yeah. I don't do anything without consulting Paul, but he, he actually pulled two cylinders oh, off the It's so engine. embarrassing. And, you know, the, there wasn't anything wrong with the cylinders, but he, he just, wanted lamp bases. He just had this insatiable curiosity to look at his cam. <laughs> I gotta look in there. Which look is like there. crazy, you know, but he did, and it looked pristine. Everything in the bottom end looked pristine. You, so you should imagine together. what our conversations are like at the house in the evenings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of cylinders, cylinders are an accessory. So you talked about your oil consumption and compressions, which compressions are kind of marginally valuable. Um, but if you got cylinder problems, you change cylinders. You don't overhaul an engine. You can have on it really rare occasions somebody might have six bag cylinders but that like never happens but we're spring loaded to do a top overhaul but the bottom end of the engine is perfectly fine and by the way i i looked at the camshaft so that i would know if it was going bad i wanted to do something proactive so i didn't have to pull the engine uh but and i did the cylinders because i'm i follow the rules i know you think my airplane's a flying experiment don't touch anything if it's you know but when, when, the, when the oil consumption exceeds Continental's limits, and I'm in for annual, I follow the rules. It's like, well, I got to do something about it. So I did a ring wash, which you can do. I identified the two cylinders that were causing my problem. And I'm happy to report I went from a quart per hour to a quart in eight hours. Oh, very good. So there, there are really only two good reasons to overhaul an engine. One is that you have compelling evidence that there is something wrong in the bottom end of the engine that can't be rectified without splitting the case. The other good reason for overhauling an engine is you just can't sleep at night. And, and then some, some people do it that way. I, I, the first time I overhauled the engine, I went to 500 hours over TBO and I just, you know, I still had the taste of that TBO Kool-Aid in my mouth, and I just <laughs> said, I don't want to push my luck. So at 500 hours over TBO, I, I had two engines overhauled on the 310. And, it was and I went down to the engine shop when they had it all in pieces on a cart because I wanted to look and see what it looked like. And it was, like, totally pristine. There was not anything wrong with it. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. And I want to just say, my one comment, I did the same thing. Peace of mind, because my husband told me to do it. And I didn't want to do it. But once Don't I listen to your husband. Once, once I did it and overhauled the engine, then it was like, oh, what's in there now? I was so comfortable with my old engine. I knew exactly how it ran. I just introduced all these new parts that could break. or have. And sure enough, an AD came out. Luckily, it didn't hit me, but it could have. And it was because all new parts went into the engine. So think about it before you jump. You, if you like your engine, you have a good relationship with it, you might want to extend that. It's kind of like a spouse. <laughs> think about it before you jump. I was going to say a fine wine, but I like a spouse. I'm not better. giving yeah. relationship <laughs> advice here. Just think about it. I, I'm sticking with my starter wife. With your starter wife? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. And uh, okay, well, moving on, as we like to say now, the, uh, Colleen, uh, listen up for this one because you're a Cessna owner, single engine Cessna owner. This is not a Cardinal. Okay. It's a, a Cessna 182 owner. Terry Thayer, or Thayer, Terry, I'm going to ask for you 
Terry, first of all, says thanks for what you all do. Thank you. So mm, big hand for that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Terry has a, one, a, a system 182R with the 470 carbureted engine. 472. Can, Terry cannot seem to keep cylinder number one below 380 to 390 degrees on hot days at altitude. If uh, Terry richens up the mixture, it does help. If Terry cracks open the cow flaps, the problem is solved. <laughs> Wondering about new engine cowlings, are they needed? Are all the engine flap cylinders? Baffling. Baffling, that's what I think you were talking about. The same, and notice, are they different uh, per cylinder? Um, thoughts on that? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind when there's one cylinder that's running hot, and it kind of depends on what cylinder it is. It's number one. Um, oh, said he number said one. number one. Oh, number back. one. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, number one is the is the right rear yep. cylinder. So uh, the first thing is that right right, right behind it is a big vertical baffle, yep. and you might want to look and see if there are any big holes in it where cooling air can can yep. escape rather than yeah. cooling no air. He says he got that. So, okay. So moving on. How about the what spring that be? wraps around the cylinder to hold the baffle up against the cylinder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's one. It's hard. I have the same problem. And the other thing is, the, uh, are the inner cylinder baffles, which yeah. are really easy to slip a little bit out of place put on in Continental. Or, yeah. Put the <laughs> but no. there's a little no, baffle you're, you're right. down between that. one and three that, it, that's really hard to see. When it's just one cylinder, yeah. it, it's usually airflow. And it's usually in the back. And you could have an accessory that's tapping airflow off, like, I don't know about the 182, but an oil cooler or a mag blast tube or something like that. Um, but that cylinder is very difficult to get airflow to in the Cardinal. My number three, which is in the back in front of the co-pilot, is also the hot mm -hmm. cylinder. And there's a modification to the baffling that we can do that we call the doghouse, which basically creates a little tube that the air can it encourages additional airflow past that cylinder. No, I he don't, can't do that. It can't. He can't do. There's no room, right? There's, well, there's no STC, right? Oh, because that would be an STC. Owner produced baffling, right? Yes, that's a. <laughs> no, no, no. Owner produced parts. You produce the same part. Oh. This would be an alteration. That's a different set of rules. Well, technically, change any change of the cooling system is a major alteration. Yeah. So. Yeah. But he needs more airflow. Well, maybe. Oh. What he also needs to do is a lean test, and an in-flight induction leak test. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Could be a lean cylinder. Yeah. That's how one cylinder could be hot. So I know you don't have injectors. That's okay. You can still do a lean test. Go to the GAMI website and tell you all how to do that. But you also do an induction leak test. This is really geek out stuff. This is fun. You, yeah, everybody you have, have an engine monitor to do it. You, yeah, do you have an engine well, monitor? I'm sure okay. It does, yeah. So who has an engine monitor? Yay! <laughs> hey, that, you are our favorite crowd. Getting bigger every year. Every year. This is awesome. It used to be 50%. It's a revolution. Like it was about yeah. 70% so now. I'm going to tell you how to do this, and then Mike and Colleen are going to pick up on the things that I said wrong because I. I it's hard to talk and think at the same time. So here's the deal. You're going to go to like 6,000 feet. You're going to set the manifold pressure to roughly what ambient pressure is. And what that does is, because you have a normally aspirated engine, if there's a leak in the induction system, and the because you're always in a vacuum in your induction system, if the vacuum in the induction system is the same pressure as the ambient, no air will flow 
through the leak, right? Just cruise along, notice all your EGTs, pull the throttle back to change the manifold pressure by about seven inches. Now you've created a seven inch differential. If there's a leak, it's gonna happen. And the one cylinder that, if you have a leak, the cylinder that has a leak is gonna go much leaner than the other five, and you'll see that in a difference in the EGTs. Five cylinders will go one direction, and one cylinder goes the other. And this is not something your mechanic can do, but this is something you can do, because you can be airborne while you do it. And if you have a, anyway, it could be the gasket right where the induction tube bolts to the cylinder, or it could be the connecting tube on the induction pipes. But uh, you can stick a, you know, air pressure in the induction system, blow it all day long. But the induction system in your airplane is never under pressure. It's always in a vacuum. vacuum. So when you're flying, you can actually create that vacuum. Anyway, whether you need to or not, now you all have to go do that. You've got a three-hour flight home. What else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, really. You know, Paul, you did that pretty well. He's good. You, did, you, did, you did one thing a little bit more complicated than it needed to be. You did this big thing about ha having manifold pressure about outside ambient. That's called full throttle. That's all you have to say. <laughs> full throttle. Yes. Okay. Speaking of flights home, unless do you have more to add? No, no. We're okay. Good. okay. All right. Speaking of flights home, all right. How many people flew in here today uh, for this? Okay. Quite a lot. A few people drove. But the, for those flying in, this is a question from Rex White of Wisconsin. For the last several months, I have operated my Cessna 182 in smoke-filled skies. How, how much of this has happened to y'all? Yes, all of us. So the question from the Canadian fires, or, and it could be from the fires out west, which we've had too. The question is, are there detrimental effects on the engine to be concerned with, such as particulates working their way through the uh, induction air filter? Rex, were, did, have you heard our last podcast? Because this was the exact question that was asked by somebody from the Pacific Northwest. It I, hasn't been published It yet. hasn't been published. So we'll give you the very short answer. Oh, that, yeah, well, they need to pay attention to the podcast, too. Yeah. Well, in two it, weeks, it when it's question, out. The very question was asked, and right. we had a long discussion about it. So. And what did you come up with? Basic, basically, the consensus opinion was that, that the smoke isn't going to hurt the engine but it would be a good idea to change the oil more often than usual, and it would be a good idea to change the induction air filter more often than usual, especially if it's something, uh, you know, like a bracket filter that's... Yep. Um, but but the, it won't hurt the engine. The only thing that, that we know of that really hurt the engine volcanic flying through is, is volcanic <laughs> ash. Which no volcanoes. I don't <laughs> think Canada's been sending any of that, yeah. as far as I know. And they're all okay. real nice. They wouldn't do that. And your us. airplane will get dirty, but... The yeah. bugs are worse. So change the oil a little bit more frequently. And the air filter. And the air filter as well. That makes yeah. sense. That, like motorcycles would be the same way if you're running a dirt bike uh, oh, in the woods, yeah. that kind of thing. Okay. Yep. All right. Since we have about 30 minutes left, I'm going to ask this question about leaning because oh, it'll geez. probably take us to the end of the session. No, wait, wait. We'll Everybody try. here fly has a borescope. Yeah. Everybody here has an engine monitor. There won't be any controversy for leaning in oh, this okay. group. Everybody already knows the answer to whatever yeah. you're going to ask. Well, we, should, we should let them in. If they, if they listen to you or read Mike's uh, uh, columns in AOPA Pilot, they, they would probably know. But we're here, and we want other people to find out. So Tim Long of Texas wants to know about leaning in um, his Mooney M20C, which I used to have one. Uh, you know, and also, we talked a little bit about 
Um, the baffles and things like that, that's also a critical element to keep the cylinder head temperatures cool. But leaning in the O360A1D uh, engine on the M20C, do I lean it until it runs pretty smooth or completely smooth? I often get it pretty smooth, but it still thumps periodically, you know, once a second or so. Is that bad for the engine? Oh, uh, general discussion on leaning. I want a definition of pretty smooth. It sounds like rocks rumbling around under your yeah. feet. That's when, when the exhaust, because you're feeling yeah. the mist. Well, we, we like to, at least Paul and I, I don't know, Colleen is a little bit less I like going aggressive fast. when it, yeah, she's a fast. <laughs> I like smooth and fast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Paul and I like to lean pretty aggressively, uh, and there are a lot of advantages to that. Besides fuel economy, which is particularly important to me because I fly a twin that gobbles feel like crazy um it's it's cleaner it's mm -hmm. cooler mm -hmm. it's gentler to the engine the the mm -hmm. power pulses are, are all, all of the 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 impulse pressures in the engine are less the bearings were less um but the leaner the mixture is the 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 engine will run a little bit rougher just inherently due to something called uh, cycle to cycle variation where it's just, it's harder for a spark plug to ignite a lean mixture than a rich mixture. So the, the, there's a certain amount of randomness that occurs when the, from the time that the spark fires to the time that the flame front actually gets organized. And, and it varies, there's more variation in that when the engine's running lean. So there, it's naturally a little bit rougher, but no, you, you don't want to run it so rough that your significant other says, what the hell was that? Um, but, you, but if you want to run the engine lean, which Paul and I like to do, you need to accept a small amount of additional roughness. Uh, but if it's, it's not just, comfortable, yeah. fly it where you're comfortable. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah don't, don't let it be as rough enough that you're uncomfortable about it. But it's not going to hurt the engine. It's just going to spook your passengers. So I, I think the, the questioner's concern is that you back off too lean and make it richer so it sounds a little better. Are you too close to peak and going to damage the engine? And the answer is... Wait, wait we have below. to have an engine monitor, right? Well, we well, have to know. The, yeah. the basic answer is you look at your CHTs. And if your right. CHTs aren't excessive, right. and, and we consider anything that starts with a four to be excessive for a Continental engine. For light combings, we're willing to see it go to 420 before we start wincing. If you can get 20 degrees cooler than those numbers, that, that's really yeah. great. 380 for a Continental, 400 for a light combings, just like, just, just sweet spot. Um, but if if the CHTs aren't excessive, then you're not in the red box and you don't have to worry about it. And, and if you're at 65% power or below, if you're yeah, up high, you're also, yeah. you can't hurt it at all. Right, because you're, 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 below, you're below top power, so I'm yeah. not Yeah, so experiment. Yeah. And if you don't yeah. like the way it sounds, don't fly there. But, but you know, a lot of people are, are afraid to play around with yeah. the red knob. You, sh you should experiment, play around with it. You're not going to hurt anything. Right. And um, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. No. Uh, you know, it, 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 when I flew 182, pulling it back until it, it, it felt like it was rough and then richening it until it wasn't unacceptably rough, it's a perfectly good way to, to, to fly it. And it's a lot better for the engine than running it rich. I have a little problem with my plane right now is that 
it doesn't run rough. I yes, lean it, and I lean it, and I lean it, and pretty soon it's like, I'm not sure if it's running or not. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I'm, I'm descending, and everything's great, and I level off and realize, my engine's not running. It's, you know, 100-degree CHTs. Maybe I'll, you know. 100 degrees. Oh, I've done that. Paul's a glider pilot. <laughs> Good question. All right, we're going to ask one more question. This is a Cessna 172 question. All these guys Cessna words? This is from David Berman. Raise your hand, Dave. Where are you? Right here. Up front. Hey, Dave. Oh, you're so close. I'll let you ask the question. Yeah, let him go. It'll be quick and easy to get to you. I've got a uh, 79, 172N with a 320 H2AD oh. engine that needs the lycoming additive. The famous H2AD, for, for right. the equivalent. Can I still put the cam guard in there with it? You, you can uh, put the cam guard in there. It, it, technically, you're also supposed to have the lycoming snake oil, so you, you, you should like use Aerochel W100 Plus instead of W100. The, the cam guard has has an anti-scuff additive package. It's actually better than the snake oil, but it, it's not exactly compliant with the AD. So, I mean, if it, if it were my engine, I probably would just put the cam guard in, but if, if, if somebody is scrutinizing what you're doing, then technically you're supposed to have the, the, the snake oil is actually a triphenyl phosphate. It's oh. LW1602, I think. I, I haven't seen one of those like engines in my shop. Enough. I don't have one of those. But it's, it's pre-blended in with Aeroshell W100+, Aeroshell 15W50, which don't use that one. And, uh, and, and it, the Phillips Victory Oil also has mm -hmm. it pre-blended in. Here you go. All right, so I'm off stage, but I'm still going to ask this question. Thank you all. All right, uh, Gregory... Hurst or Gregory Hart from Baltimore, Maryland. Way back. I'm going to ask for you since you're way back there. Uh, and this is interesting. Uh, some electronic magnetos offer automatic timing advance. Have you seen any downsides to this setup in carbureted GA engines? So carbureted electronic magnetos. Automatic timing advance. Right. So the, the real concern is that they advance too far and you get into detonation. Um, <clears throat> there are some airplanes that tolerate how aggressive the timing is. I don't know how, 172, is that right? What airplane do you have? Cherokee 180. Cherokee 180, okay. Lycoming engine. So I don't know how aggressive which one we're talking about. You would find out real quick by watching your CHT. So when you're climbing, full power, wide open throttle, full rich mixture. If your CHTs are going too high, you have a real, well, higher than they were when you just had magnetos, then your timing advance is, is too much. So advanced timing will be higher CHTs and lower EGTs. Retarded timing is just the opposite. So you can, that's a, before you install electronic ignition, go out and do some flights, record, engine parameters so you know what norm is. So when you upgrade, and I'm, I'm a, I have a one on the left side of my airplane, and I'm seriously considering putting one on the right side as You're well. Objected, though. You're objected, though. I'm yeah. a different engine. I'm just saying the technology is pretty wonderful, and I'm not advertising for anybody, but uh, it, it's something we're all going to start 
considering because reliability issues and all that. It works great in your car too, right? I mean, yeah, but cars are smart. Our, yeah. So the newest engine in the room that's certified is like 1950s technology. So we're adding, you know, we're putting a patch on a wine bottle and you've got to be careful that the patch doesn't tear the old wine doesn't bottle. doesn't say you know? Miller. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, I, I really don't think that, that uh, detonation is ever going to be an issue because those things only advance the timing at very low manifold pressures. Uh, where the engine is just is just not going to be detonating as long it, as it's it may be, yeah. but client fuel. Um, but but it is important to know that when you when you enable the variable timing, you will have higher CHTs in in cruise because it's it's a feature, not a bug. And, and as long as those higher CHTs aren't excessive then you're getting all the benefits of the variable timing, which is, you know, better fuel economy and, and, and a little more power and stuff. Um, so, like as Paul said, so just keep an eye on your CHTs, and if they're not excessive, you, you're, you're good. We've had a f very small number of clients who were uncomfortable with the CHTs they were seeing and decided to disable the very variable timing feature. And you don't have to enable it. And in fact, if you install it on a turbocharged airplane, you, you can't, you're not allowed to use it. It, it has to be fixed timing. Um, but most of them do very well with variable timing. And it does have advantages in terms of fuel economy and a little bit of extra power. Yeah. Reliability. And as Mike said, you can try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to take the electronics off. Just switch them off. Right. It's good. All right, uh, late breaking question from Jack, who was just here a second ago. He's got a, a Piper J3, and I'm interested Yay. in this too, because I've got a Piper Tri-Pacer, and I have a similar issue. Uh, Jack has a Piper J3 with a C85, a stroker crank, 0 0200 rods, pistons and cylinders, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, total time only about 40 hours, four zero hours. But after flying, Jack has found that oil is all over the belly and no visible leaks. It's coming out of the carb heat box, maybe? He can't find anything that will fix it. What do you think the problem is? I know the answer on the tri-pacer, but go ahead. It, so this is, this is a dry sump engine with an oil tank, so it, it, oil overfilling the oil level isn't going to cause this like it would in a wet sump engine, right? So, so it would be vent tube. Crankshaft seal? Crankshaft seal. Well, then it would be getting all over the windshield. Well, but you know, when oil gets all over, it gets all over, and you can't yeah, tell where great. it's coming from, period. So but what, a, what about the location of the breather line? Well, that's what I was suggesting. If the breather line is down into the airstream, the, if the, if the slot, um, what do you call that when you cut an angle in a tube? Scarf. It's, it's if scarf. the scarf is either at the wrong angle or turned the wrong direction, you can actually create a vacuum on the crankcase that sucks the that the fumes. Bingo when on the crankcase. Oh, one in a row! Yay! That was a trick question. So you're saying the scarf? Well, that's a great word. I, that wasn't yeah. in my vocabulary before. I thought that was something this you put around your neck, but that's excellent. That's so a it could form out. a little bit of a vacuum but, and yeah. pull that oil but out of that maybe breather. The scarf too. is pointing in the wrong direction. It could be, yeah. or the tube is. What? He thinks it's coming out of the carb box, though. 
That's there's, different. There, if there's yeah. oil in your carb heat box, there's something really oh, bad. Oh, well, that, that, then that's <laughs> coming up through a through through an intake valve guide. That that's that that's what that has to mean. That C85 doesn't have uh, intake valve oil seals. So it's, but how it's would they get down to the carb air box? Yeah, it's going the wrong way. Right? Yeah, it's going the wrong direction. <laughs> That's exactly where it goes, Paul. Think about it. it you, if, if, you have, if you have a wallard out intake, oh, is that the, is that the think about it position? Yeah. I like that. He can't <laughs> yeah, talk and think at the same time. So, But if you, have, if you have, let's say, a wallard out intake guide. Everybody knows the it, difference between wallard and hogged. I'm not going to explain <laughs> it. Listen, you know, go ahead. But wallard is was the, was the right it's word. The proper term. Yeah. Good. Hog, hog, me, me, you know, implies intentionality. That's right. Like is, Noah. That's right. Um, that, then you've got a you've got a, a vacuum in the intake manifold. Okay. Okay. It's going to suck oil from the rocker box through the wallard out guide into the intake port, where it is going to fall down into. Through the carburetor. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking while the engine's running, it's getting sucked into oh, the yeah, cylinder. I was, I was thinking the engine running. Yeah. You're saying no, it is? Now. No, no, it is when the engine's running. I had that, uh, excuse me, I, I pulled a cylinder and took it to the engine shop and they checked the valve guide. It's, he said it's brand new. It's uh, just perfect. Which cylinder uh, dollar pull? I just one, but one. I figured the rest of them well, are new. They should be the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, what we do is 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 we bore scope the cylinders with the intake valves open, and look at the back side of the intake valve with the bore scope, and it should be dry. If it, it is. If you if you have one that's well, wet, then you know that that's right. where the oil's going. And if you don't have a bore scope, there's 250 people out here that would be happy to help you with that. All right, that was a mystery. That that's, but that's pretty much the only way oil can get into the intake yeah. is, through, is through a That would be a, weird. I have not guy. seen that. Yeah, on the tripazer, it's simply the breather is down in the airstream. Yeah, you get it down too far. And it's getting it's it back a vacuum. But, but that, would, that would account for oil on the belly, but it wouldn't account for oil in the, car, in yeah. the, in the, right, the air yeah. box. Yeah. All right, so this is an interesting question from Mike Wilson of New Jersey. Mike, where are you? I'm going to let you ask it since you were on the front row. Don't stand up. Yeah, and next time you go on, you can make, sit on the front row and get your uh, questions asked and have the mic at the same time. Uh, how you doing? So um, I know a couple episodes ago you spoke about myths. Uh, so I've always been told, you know, when I was a student, 1,000 RPM, leave it there. And I never was learned or never been told to, like, lean, you know, previously. Um, so I started flying with a, you know, partner of mine, and he would always kind of let it, He'd start it, and as we're taxing, he'd let it go down to 700. Didn't really lean much, um, you know, as we were learning more. Um, I guess the question is, should you allow, after start and taxing, you know, to save your brakes, should you allow it to go down to six, 700 while you're taxing? Um, I don't do that now. I kind of lean it myself, and um, I try to leave it no longer, maybe 800 at, at most. Just trying to understand that myth of, you know, should you always keep it at a 100 RPM or 1,000 RPM? And you know, not keeping. Are we, are we all trying the time. to scavenge? I mean, most yeah. engines, if they're set up right, will run smoothly down to six or seven hundred. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I would always think less is better. Lead no, fouling is something I was talking about. So yeah. you want to do scavenge? But yeah. the the main thing is you want to be leaning Lean aggressively on the ground. Yeah. That's that's Almost. the mistake most people make is to is to not lean aggressively when they're on the ground. When I pull off the runway, 
I flaps up and I lean right because I'm going to be taxing back. I mean, anytime I'm just at low yeah. RPM, I'm definitely. George Brawley right. uses the term for, for ground leaning. He says lean brutally. Brutally. Kind of like, which is <laughs> like lean as far as you can before the engine stumbles when you when you throttle up a little bit. Yeah. And if you don't, here, so you do your engine run up. This is the way I tell people to do it. 1800 RPM, whatever your run up is. Pull the mixture back till you get an RPM rise. Right. Right. Lycoming now recommends this for their the new Cessna airplanes for a mag check. And if you get that RPM rise, that's about where you want to be. Mark that on your mixture knob and just pull it to that. As soon as you start the engine, go right to that. Yeah. And you're fine. It warms up just a little bit. Right. And then when you're on the takeoff roll, Which you will back. forget to put the mixture <laughs> yeah, knob don't in. Don't forget to put the mixture back in. And the really wonderful thing that'll happen is when you push the throttle forward, It'll it's die. too lean to run, <laughs> and the engine dies. It's embarrassing, but if you don't lean brutally, if you don't you lean brutally, yeah. you find out you forgot to push the mixture knob at about 500 feet when the cylinders are melting. So if you're going to lean on the ground, highly recommended. Everything forward when you're going for your takeoff. Yeah. Yeah. But if you forget. Failure to lean on the ground. Again, that, that, that my old flight instructor, the, the one that taught me that the engine blow up if I run it over square, also told me never lean on the ground, you know. And it, it turns out that, that not leaning on the ground is probably the single biggest cause of valve sticking in Lycomings and in the, in the older Continentals like the A and C yep. series engines. Um, you, it's really important to lean brutally when, you, during when all ground at, operations. Look at a borescope. You can see all the lead on those cylinders. When people, uh, people who have long taxis and forget to lean, you can tell those aircraft. Yeah, yep. most, most of the POHs recommend that you go full rich for the run-up. Don't, don't do it. <laughs>